we have a tolerable level of unhappiness. Tolerable level of unhappiness. I had to say that in my head a few times when I first heard it. This is the level that you are willing to be discontent at. And that's fine. So it's not fine, but it's fine. And the problem with that level is what? It rises. It doesn't stay at the same line. It's going to go up. I hate that quote, actually, like the frog in the boiling water. But that really is the perfect analogy. It's like, it gets worse. And so your bar rises the wrong way. (laughs) I think that is a major reason why people don't leave, even when they're very unhappy, is they convince themselves that they're not unhappy enough to warrant the risk that comes with making a change that big. This is Meredith for Real, the curious introvert, and I am Meredith. I explore the questions people think but don't ask out loud. They're the conversations you thought you'd never get to have. Everything from questioning circumcision to discussing digital graves. The goal is to level up your curiosity within and explore the nuance all around. Each episode is different, so bring your ADD and your earbuds and have a look around. This week, we are questioning the way we work. What would happen if we took a break? What would justify that? How would we spend our time? And of course, how would we pay our bills? My next guest is a Midwestern woman who decided to explore this herself with what she calls a midlife gap year. We covered tolerable levels of unhappiness, the stigma on those who work from home, and downshifting from the grind mentality. If you end up liking this episode, you'll also like the one I did with author Joe Sanok about the signs that a four-day work week may be on the horizon and how it could work for you. That's episode 128. Lastly, if you enjoyed a couple episodes of the show, it would make my day if you could tap those stars on the Apple Podcast app. I know leaving a full review can be weird, so don't worry. Just leaving a star rating helps a ton. Why? Because it tells future guests and sponsors that what we do here is pretty awesome and that they should be a part of it too. All right, friends, keep it curious. We can all relate to needing a break. Most of us take a vacation and return to a credit card bill and a pile of laundry, no less rested. We think about work when we're at home and everywhere else when we're at work. But what do you do? Once you start working, you got to keep going, right? One woman decided to think outside that box. At 42 years old, she was a C-suite executive, running three departments and making a six-figure income in Boulder, Colorado. Everything was really good, but she wondered if it could be great. So, in 2023, she began an adult gap year, a hard reset leaving her company of 13 years. Today, she's going to share her thought process that led up to that decision, what a gap year as an adult looks like, And the stigma of rest as we ask the question, is taking a break from work an option? Writing, resting, unclimbing the corporate ladder, Kim Wooten. Thanks for being here. Hello, it's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's travel back to 2020 when you first started thinking about making this big leap. Can you paint a picture for us on what was going on in your mind at that time? Yes. So I'd worked at this company for many years, had a lot of career success. I was in a really good place. We were privately owned and we got bought by a private equity firm, which is an experience I'd never gone through before. And 
their goal was to sell us in three or four years. And I was on the leadership team at that time. I got what was basically the equivalent of stock. And I thought, awesome, when we sell in three and four years, I'm going to take that money and I'm going to take a year off. But I knew I needed more than just that money. So I, I knew I had to make a plan. And I had two thoughts. The first was, I've always wanted to write a book. It is just that dream that has been in the back of my brain since I was a kid, really. And my mom and stepdad were always so wonderful about encouraging me to write, but they never really made it clear that, that was a path that I could explore right from the beginning. It was like, oh, you'll something to do on the side as your creative hobby, but it never really seemed like a career option for me. And so it was never something that I pursued. And you know, when people ask you that question, what's the one thing you'll regret if you die tomorrow? My instant answer was always that I didn't write that book. And so I wanted to bring that to life. I had over the past many years made these little goals to say, I'm just going to write 10 minutes a day, or I'm just going to write this many pages a week, or I'm just going to get this far into my book by this date. And I never did it. I really admire people who can make iterative progress on the side towards their big goals, but I just never could do it. So that was in the back of my head. I really wanted to create space to be able to do that. Even though my job was good. I loved the people that I work with. I liked my boss. I loved the work that I did. It really wasn't the thing I wanted to do. And I think it can be really hard when you get to a certain age and you get so far down the path of a career that you're on. That's it. You're on that path. If you want to continue to make money, if you want to continue to have that ideal level of success, you just stay on that path and that's it. I wanted to disrupt it. I was ready to disrupt it. And so I started to just try to see if I could make a plan to do that. But how did you even think about the idea of stopping work? There had to be those negative voices maybe in your head or from other people that you shared your idea to that were like, this is crazy. Nobody does this. What if you want to get a job, like a regular job down the road? How will you explain this giant gap in your resume? You'll be giving up all of the potential retirement advancement that you would get if you had stayed at the job. These are all things that I imagine would swirl in the head of someone who is firmly planted on that traditional path. Yeah, you're right. I did have all those thoughts, but I will tell you that once I opened my mind to the idea of taking that amount of time off just became possible. I would say that a lot of people might not even travel down that space. They will hit any of the number of objections that you just listed off. And that'll be that. It's irresponsible. It's not the right thing to do for my family. What am I going to, who am I if I'm not this person in this career? And I just let myself push past those initial objections an easy thing to do. And also, I had a while to think about it as well. It wasn't like I said, I'm going to take a gap year and then I quit my job the next day. <laughs> I really thought about it. And I'll say, if I did not have the dream of writing a book in the back of my head, I probably wouldn't have done it. If I had just had this aimless sense of being not fulfilled in my job, I don't think I would have had the bravery to leave. But I think because I was pursuing something bigger, and I have always felt like I am meant not only to write a book, but to really have a career as a novelist. I just believe that. I believe that about myself. And the more I let myself focus on that dream, the more it became possible in my head. 
that sounds like if I were reading these words, I'd be like, okay, yeah. But seeing you face to face and watching how your body language shifted during that uh-huh. moment and how your face lit up, I believe you. I yeah. I so believe you that those words aren't just the motivational quotes that we collect on Pinterest. <laughs> that is real and visceral. You mentioned something earlier about being really content where you were, that life was good. You didn't doesn't sound like at least you had a boss harassing you or coworkers that made your life a living hell. Why do you think it is that people wait until they're miserable to make dramatic shifts like this? Is it perhaps the justification piece of it where they can easily explain at family gatherings? Oh, I had to, it was so bad. I had to see a counselor. So I knew I couldn't stay there. Oh yeah. There was a buyout coming anyway. So I was going to get out while I was ahead. Like, why does it always come to that point where it's a severe situation instead of the situation that you came from? Two thoughts about that. I think there's this quote that I heard recently that so has resonated with me ever since I heard it. And it was that we have a tolerable level of unhappiness. Tolerable level of unhappiness. I had to say that in my head a few times when I first heard it. This is the level that you are willing to be discontent at. And that's fine. So it's not fine, but it's fine. And the problem with that level is what? It rises. It doesn't stay at the same line. It's going to go up. I hate that quote, actually, like the frog in the boiling water. But that really is the perfect analogy. It's like, it gets worse. And so your bar rises the wrong way. (laughs) I think that is a major reason why people don't leave, even when they're very unhappy, is they convince themselves that they're not unhappy enough to warrant the risk that comes with making a change that big. And especially when you're in your midlife and you've been at a career for a very long time, it is a big risk. It's a financial risk. It is a the risk of change. And I think that's my other thought that I have is that it's really scary. It's really scary to change. And actually, I was listening to a podcast that you had on a couple of months ago who made a big career change. And I loved a couple of things that you guys uncovered in that where you have all of these fears that are guiding the conversation in your head. And you're thinking, what if I hate my next boss? What if my next team isn't as cool as this team is, even though I really hate this guy and that girl and this guy drives me crazy and this guy belittles me in meetings and but, 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 but there's so many good things. What if I don't have those good things over here? And it is just that classic fear of the unknown. You don't know what your next job and boss and team and work and life is going to be like in that new job. And that's really scary. And I will say that wasn't a barrier for me taking a gap year. I knew being unemployed was going to be if I could figure it out financially. I would be my own boss. My coworkers are my family. Yeah. Yeah. And I already knew that I loved them. And maybe I, I was able to take a bit of the easy way out because the idea now of getting another job, I am not looking forward to. I hope I don't have to. Honestly, I hope that's not the path for me. But I get it. I completely get why that fear of what might be keeps people from leaving a situation that doesn't serve them anymore. Absolutely. And can we talk about the stigma of rest? God. Because I have more or less been working a four-day work week since January, I want to say. And 
Yes. See, I believe you when you tell me that's great, Meredith. It is great. Let me tell you, Kim, when I tell other people, I can tell they are not that happy for me. It's weird. An inherent laziness thought that comes up if you're not doing the traditional way that work looks. And that's for so many people. I think I know one of my neighbors is a very successful web designer, makes loads of money, loads of clients, has incredible work. But I still know that people treat her like a stay-at-home mom because she works at home. She has three kids. She does a lot of the work around home, the emotional and labor of what it takes to run a household. And even though she has a very successful career, because she's not at this company with this boss and this coworkers and going into the office, it's like people don't see that as being as worthy, I'm putting that in quotes for podcast listeners, as worthy as the typical what a corporate job looks like. I think we are lucky that definition of what corporate life looks like is beginning to evolve, but we are really in the very early stages of that. Of course, the huge impetus being COVID and that has changed working from home and flexibility and just what workers are demanding from their workplaces so that they can live and work sustainably. But we're really in the early stages of that. Yeah, early on the corporate policy side, but also early on our mindset side. Because it is not uncommon for entrepreneurs to think in this way, but for those who are employed in a more traditional way, it is unusual. And and you mentioned your neighbor not being a stay-at-home mom, but even if she was, it is interesting how we view that workload. Sure. As yep, as right. potentially less when it's inc- it's enormous. Three tiny humans. Oh my God. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's a yes, lot. Even if she right. was primarily a stay-at-home mom. But it's this idea that even I don't know, I love your thoughts on this. It's almost if you don't act tired, mm-hmm. if you look, if I detect a hint of well restedness, I'm coming after you. Like Yeah. Or if you delegate, oh my God, if you delegate. Now this is changing, but there's still a lot of it. Enough that I think is it's worthy of the rant that I'm about to go on. (laughs) But if you have a housekeeper, oh my gosh, you rich bitch. Like, no, sister, you can delegate the tasks that are not depending on your specific set of skills right? To quote that Liam Neeson movie, like you can outsource different things in order to prioritize rest, but there's still a very strong current of stigma that if you're not working every hour, if when I run into you at the grocery store, if you don't answer the question, hey, how have you been with, oh God, so busy, so crazy, then oh, she must sit around and eat bonbons and watch reality television. It's, yeah. So is that what you see also? Or am I just living in 15 years in the past? No, you are so right on. And what's so funny, I'll admit something, is that we've had a house cleaner for many years. It's actually, I think, saved my marriage with my husband for many years because we would get into (laughs) so many arguments about whose responsibility it was to do what. And... Once we're both working full time and had two kiddos, it just was the thing that we were willing to pay for 
so that we could just enjoy, reap the benefits of that in all number of ways. And I have been very careful to not tell people that I have continued to have that house cleaner when I quit my job because I, you know, your words exactly just, oh, you rich bitch. Like, how are you affording this? You don't work and you have a house cleaner. Yeah. And so I appreciate you bringing that up because I think I will stop. Not that I'm like shouting it from rooftops. Yeah. I think if I find myself in a situation where it's appropriate to talk about that kind of thing, that I won't hide it because why be ashamed of that? It's something that I need and want and that I'm willing to pay for. I'm sure if you think of what I pay for $100, any number, per, any if you line up 20 people and you say, what's something you paid $100 for? Everyone's going to be like, what? Coffee? Are you joking? Uh, electronics? That's insane. Oh, movies? whatever it is that it's important to that person that's your own that's your own way that everybody spends their own money when it comes to what rest looks like it's not yeah. always physical and that when i would talk to people about i have a housekeeper and they would huh? look at me sideways i would say yeah let me in a world where your house is always clean you have infinite amounts of energy and i would describe coming home from a day of recording the podcast, a day of whatever other work I was doing. And guess what? The whole house is clean at the whole time. Do you know what that does to my energy? Because energy for an introvert goes down with social interactions. I come home and my whole fucking house is clean. Boom! Energy recharged immediately. I open the fridge. Oh, it's clean. I look at the baseboards. They're clean. Oh, I'm sorry. Aunt Sally, you're in town? last minute and you want to drop by? Okay, no problem. So I, it's like an emotional energy recharge and not just a physical energy. And it's almost, those things shouldn't be separate, but they are. And the stigma, I think, maybe you tell me, but I think the stigma on the emotional rest is almost higher than the physical rest. And that the idea that you are taking time for emotional rest is at the expense of very important other responsibilities. Absolutely. Not to like harp on this house cleaning example, but I will say the other thing about things like that that you choose to dedicate your money to is that probably the day before you went and had that long day of podcasting, you may have looked around your home and been like, man, look at all these things I have to do. Look at all these ways I'm falling short. My home is not kept the way that I want to. Instead, you're like, this is going to be clean tomorrow. Yep. And so that's another thing. So my last day of work was January 24th. And actually, my husband got into an, a really terrible scooter accident the, a couple of days right before my last day. And so he was in the hospital for almost a week and he had a few weeks of recovery. And so that became my instant focus. But once he was recovered and back to work, at the beginning of March is really when I felt feel like that's when that time started for me. And I didn't struggle with, oh, man, I wish I had email to check or meetings to go to. I didn't miss my work. But I felt an urge to fill every moment of my time. And because that's what my life was like when I had a job, because I was very busy. I worked a lot of hours. We were all across the United States. So I had meetings East Coast time in the morning and Pacific Coast time in the evening. And no one really had, we didn't have like clear rules and boundaries about that. So it was just, if it needs to be done, it gets done. Was, was unspoken mantra of my company. Because even though we grew substantially over the last three years that I was there, we were still only a couple hundred people. 
And I always had a to-do list a mile long, a meeting schedule that was nearly back to back almost every single day. Six to seven hours of meetings was a normal day for me. And then a husband and kids and a life and friends and house and responsibilities and bills to pay and trash to put out on Monday mornings and just the millions of things that you have to do to, to run your life. And so I had gotten used to that level of activity at all times. And I do good with that. Honestly, I thrive in it. I think that's why I have been so su successful at work is that even though I would actually also describe myself as an introvert, I can really put it on. And I can go for a lot of hours, weeks, months, years at a time, and I'm okay. I thought I was okay. <laughs> but I just, I was in that gear. I was in that gear. And honestly, I am still trying to downshift now. It is something that I have to acquire, just like I acquired my ability to be in top gear for that long all the time. And I love to rest. I know there's some people who really get antsy, and but I love to sit in my hammock and read my book for hours at a time. I love to sit around with my kids and play board games. I really love it. It's that voice that tells me I should be doing something else that I am trying to retrain. And that has been tough. It's the idea of slow living. I love the idea of that. <laughs> but I'm trying to learn to incorporate that. Yeah. A lot of Americans who are much older than you and I, closer to retirement age in the traditional sense, meaning 65 or older, cannot retire. And it has nothing to do with their bank account. It has everything to do with they have no idea what the heck they would do if they retired. What's the difference, do you think, between the mindset of a person like that and your mindset that decided to go for it in midlife? I am someone who, I'm, I'm very future thinking. I'm very what's going to happen thinking. And when I would think about the two paths side by side, the path of me staying in this career path, working at this company or something else adjacent until I am, have enough money to retire in my 60s versus, and again, I did feel a lot of satisfaction in my job. I think that's a lot, that's one thing that people, that really actually does make people leave is when they don't see the impact of their work. I did see the impact of my work. But at the end of the day, I didn't care about it. I didn't care. Sure, I'm making other people in my company happy or making my bosses happy or making our shareholders happy. But it didn't make me happy. It made me happy that I felt like I was doing a good job. But the work itself, I just truly didn't care about. And so then when I would gaze forward at the potential path of me writing a book, being an author, having that life, being able to tap into that creative side of my brain, yeah, I just can't even describe to you like the difference, how that feels in my body and how that feels in my heart. That's the life I want. That other life is fine. It's comfortable. It's good. It's a good life. But when I really allow myself to visualize what could be that I believe that I am truly capable of, why would I not choose this? Why? And I'm sure you and I come up with 40 reasons right now. <laughs> of all the reasons why I would be scary to do that, even with that excitement. 
as the foundation. But just once again, like once I got that idea in my head, I couldn't walk away from it. I couldn't because it was like I was walking away from who I am. And I was not willing to do that. How did you stay motivated to stay at your job after you decided that you were going to leave? Money. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Yeah. And here's the story I didn't tell or the continuing continuation of that story is that they didn't sell. So they got to the end of that point and they said, actually, we're going to hold on to the company for another two or three years. And I said, no, thank you. And so I stayed for six more months and then I put my notice in because for whatever reason at the time that I made that decision in 2020, three years felt possible. And it was possible and I did it and it was fine. But at the end of 2022, three more years did not feel possible. I had this, you know, this kind of burn inside of me that I was getting more and more excited about bringing my, what I really wanted, what I really felt like was the path that I'm supposed to be on to life. I was not willing to delay that by another three years. And so I left. Yeah. And I would say the company changed. My boss changed. A lot of things changed as well over those three years. And so I think finally my tolerable level of unhappiness, I was finally not willing to cross that threshold anymore. How did it go when you told your boss? It was actually a good moment because he really fought for me. And he wanted to keep me. He wanted me to stay. But at the end of the day, he understood. And so I gave a really long notice and we left on very good terms. And I believe if I called them up today and said, hey, can I come back? Which I won't do and I would never do. But if I did, (laughs) but if I did, I left very amicably. I'm still in touch with a ton of people that work there still. And honestly, one thing that here's something that has been an interesting shift for me. And really, this is an insight that I have really just been grasping onto in the last couple of days is that when you're at a company, when you're at a job, and it's really easy to blame all kinds of things for the things that you don't like going on, usually people, usually your boss or a coworkers, a situation, a project, a, a rule, a, something that policy that's changed. And it is so yeah. easy to point your finger at all the things that don't, that you don't like. I don't like that. I wish that wasn't like that. Remember in the good old days when it used to be like this? God, if I could have a dollar for every time people would say that. I was in HR as well, so I heard a lot of complaints. And at the end of the day, you have to turn the finger back at you and say, maybe I'm not right for this place anymore. And that's really hard to say because there's a lot of ego wrapped up into that. You want to say, I'm right. It's them that's not right. If they would just da da, if he would just da, if she would just da, you know, and, and just you can come up with a million things, all the gossiping crap that workers just want to just spend all their valuable energy spending their time doing with gossiping, rather than really, it's like, what is your tolerable level of unhappiness? Or maybe I should say, what's the level of happiness that you will demand from this thing that you're giving one third of your life and your energy? to, is it worth it anymore? And I think that you should ask yourself, especially when you've been in a job for years and years, and especially when that company has changed over the years for a variety of reasons, it's okay to just be like, gosh, this and this are good, but I don't think that, I don't think I am serving them anymore, and I don't think they're serving me anymore. And I do think that 
it is empowering, although you do have to put your ego aside, it is empowering to admit that you don't fit anymore because then it does give you the power. I don't fit, so I'm going to go find a place I fit. Just think about people that I worked with over the last several years and people that I know are still at the company. If you're listening to this and this mm-hmm. is resonating, this message is for you. <laughs> if you find yourself complaining a lot, maybe you don't fit anymore. And maybe it's time for you to leave. I wish someone had told me that earlier because I spent an awful lot of time blaming my circumstances and an awful lot of time blaming people and not any time at all thinking about what I needed to do differently. Yeah. The truth is powerful, but it's also disruptive. And you got to hold on to your butts (laughs) when you start down that path of asking those questions in a way that expects honest answers from yourself and from the people around you as you reconsider what your options are. Hey, Curiositors, just a quick pause to show gratitude to our sponsors and give you some special deals. My husband and I have been using Liquid IV since 2019, and we love it for staying hydrated during these hot August days when we're milking the last drops out of summer. I just tried the watermelon flavor, and it might be my new favorite. It's tied with strawberry lemonade. And I love that we don't have to pack extra bulky drinks, just a little packet that we can easily put in a water bottle. And it has three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code CURIOUS at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code CURIOUS at liquidiv.com. Don't pick another boring venue for your next work event. Check out one of the Pensacola Historic Trust's 12 museums. If you watch the show on YouTube, you see the beautiful backdrop of Trader John's, the exhibit where I record the show inside the Pensacola Museum of History. Booking an event with the Trust will not just be memorable for your guests, it will support the efforts to keep Pensacola's historic charm preserved. And if you're planning a trip here and need an indoor activity option, pick up a ticket in person so you can show the agent one of my emails and get $2 off an adult ticket. Learn more at historicpensacola.org. Summer is winding down, but the mosquitoes are not, at least not in the southern U.S. I've been using Insects Mosquito Service since 2019, and they continue to impress me. They guarantee their work, and pollinators are always top of mind. If you're hoping to enjoy some porch time when the weather does cool down, get on their schedule now so you're not run off by the mosquitoes. If you're in the Florida Panhandle or the Gulf Coast of Alabama, give Insect a call, ensec.net. Now back to the show. Remember to stay till the end where I give you a sneak peek of next week's episode. How did you figure out the financial piece of it? Because that's obviously an enormous point of friction for even change from one job to another. I forget what percentage of Americans it is, but it's a large percent of Americans cannot afford a $400 unexpected bill or emergency. And so changing jobs and experiencing that pay period gap where it's, okay, I got paid here, but I won't get paid until three weeks for this other job or whatever the case may be. Even that strikes fear in the heart of the paycheck to paycheck person. How did you navigate the financial aspect of it? And how would you suggest others do it? 
I'll start by just admitting I come from an immense place of privilege where my husband works full time. I worked full time. He and I both made very good money. And, you know, my husband's almost 50. I'm in my 40s. We have been working a long time. And so we have had many years to do some of the things that create financial stability. We have a house that has a lot of equity in it. We were able to buy a another property that we use as a short-term rental so that we can get um, passive income from that property. We have paid down our debt. We don't have credit card debt. I don't have a car loan. It, it was interesting because when my story, the story of my midlife gap year got picked up by some media outlets earlier in the spring. And the comments were really, some of the comments were really scathing about, gosh, I wouldn't even be able to pay for a $400 bill, let alone take a year off. And I know that that is a reality for people regardless of how long that they've been working. But it was primarily young people that were leaving these kinds of comments on here. It was like people in their 20s that were like, good for you. And it's, I have 20 more years of working and saving and paying off debts and like creating financial stability. So I would say that we have been both lucky and worked really hard to have created a foundation of financial stability. And when you start making good money and you start having disposable income, you start to spend it on stuff and things. And some things are great. Like we prioritize vacations in my family. So that's something that's really important to us. But sometimes we'll go line by line and look at how we're spending our money. And it's like, gosh, how did we spend that much money on Amazon this month? What did we buy? And, and again, that is that comes from an immense place of privilege. And I just want to keep saying that because I know what how that might come across to someone who really is struggling to just pay their like baseline bills to be able to stay afloat. But we, when I made the decision that I wanted to take the time off, first of all, I have a very supportive partner. My husband's number one best quality is that he supports absolutely everything that I have ever wanted to do. Every crazy idea I've ever had. We've been married <laughs> for almost 22 years. Every idea I've ever had, he's always said, yep, let's do it. How can we do it? Hey, I have this idea. How can we do it? It's never, eh, I don't know. And he just, he trusts me. He trusts me that I'm going to make good decisions for our family and that I'm going to hustle to make sure that it works out fine. And so I couldn't have done this had I not had a partner who was willing to support me during this and willing to, I had been actually the breadwinner of our family for many years. And now, of course, he is because I'm not working at all. And so he was willing to make that shift and and for our family to take the risk. And supportive partner, lots of saving, no debt. And this, and really like the passive income from this rental that we have. I think all of those things together have allowed me to take this time off. I have found that when I've made a big change in my life, which becoming a full-time po podcaster was a big change, but there's other, been other big changes also. When I decided to move from Nebraska to Florida, that was a big change. And, mm. and there's other ones too. Every time my thinking is recalibrated. It's like there's a big old button inside my brain. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that it was going to be pushed by making this decision, but it is. And there's always just like this immediate influx of fresh perspective. And I'm like, oh, wow, look at the 50 ways I was wrong in the last four years. That's great. Oh, gosh. How has this recalibrated your thinking? This is just going to sound so predictable. <laughs> Hit me anyway. What you got? 
But it's just what's important. What's important? Those nights that I spent working, answering emails, those dinners that I would spend physically at the dinner table with my family, talking about our days, my phone in my pocket. But mentally thinking about that email that I'm waiting to hear back from or that meeting that I have in the morning or that presentation that I gave earlier in the day, it took up so much of my emotional and mental mind space. And I didn't realize how not present that I was because in my mind, I was physically present a lot. My family's always been important to me. I won't say I have put them first every single time, but I flexed my schedule. I was at the baseball games. I picked them up when they needed to be picked up. I took off days when they were sick. I did, as, I, did I think, in hindsight, a pretty good job. But even when I was physically with my kiddos, with my family, I was very often, mostly consumed thinking about work. And I'll say some people do that. And then like when they're at work, they're thinking about their family. I wasn't. I was thinking about work. That helps at work too. <laughs> and so I... I just, I wanted to do a good job. Being successful was incredibly important to me. I had a lot of ambition and drive. I still have a lot of ambition and drive that I'm putting towards something else, but I just, I didn't know how to turn it off. And I was always patting myself on the back that I didn't have my phone on, but it's just as bad. It's just as bad. Maybe not just as bad. It's not good. It's not good. It's not really being present. No, it's not. So what's a day of life like in a gap year as an adult? I have had this goal of writing a book. And so that was my, the first, my first priority once I emerged in March having this time. And so what my days like shifted a little bit because I wrote it. I finished a draft of my novel and I did it in three months. I'm really proud of myself. Wow. And I will say that I. While I am immensely glad that I did it and that it's done, I am also reflecting over the last few weeks about how I just took all of my grind mentality and I just shifted it to my book. And so it was more rewarding and I loved it. I loved the process. But now that I'm done with my first draft, and right now my book is with beta readers, and so I had told myself, okay, I'm going to take July off. And that's where we are right now. At the time of this recording, is middle of July. And I am learning how to be okay being uncomfortable that my day is not full of to-dos. And I'm learning that it's okay to wake up in the morning and not know how I'm going to spend my day. So. Going back to our early conversation about slowness, about living a slow life, this is what I'm, I'm trying to cultivate that energy and cultivate that instinct towards a slow life. But what's a typical day like? I still get up early. I'm an early bird and I love that time and I love to read. And I'm usually up a couple of hours at least before my family. And especially right now in the summer, my boys are teenagers and so they're sleeping late. <laughs> and and now I just want to figure out what can we do today? Can we go to the pool? Should we go for a hike? Should we take the dogs for a walk? What can we do that's fun? I will say that is something that I want to spend the next six months focusing on is fun. I think that once you get to a certain age, you really stop prioritizing that. And 
I'm sure that everybody can think of like when I say that, when you think of an adult who like it's like they are allergic to fun. It's like fun starts happening around them and they're like, don't do that. Be careful. Don't spill this thing. And I just, for whatever reason, that just becomes like more and more who you are as you get older. And I actively want to fight against that. I really want to seek fun. I want to let fun happen around me. I want things. It's okay if things get messy. It's okay if things go unplanned. (laughs) That's something that I'm trying to incorporate in my day. And connection with friends. Friendships and community are very important to me. And it's something that I tried to do while I was working full time. And it was always very stretching to me to try to have dinner with a friend during a weeknight or really do almost anything with anybody on the weekend because that was the time I wanted to dedicate to my family. And so now that I just have more space in my life, I'm also trying to seek those connections that make me feel good, that make me feel like my best, most true self and and foster those and, and build new connections. All without becoming a to-do list person. Because like I have an obsession with lists. And so, and I'm putting myself in your shoes as you're speaking and imagining myself as you. And I just had this vision of myself going, contact three friends today. Have fun. Read the book in the hammock. It's almost... It's interesting. So I really appreciate your honesty with your own journey of, like I said in the intro, unclimbing that corporate ladder because it's it's something from a very surface level outside looking in. Anyone could go, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. She quit her job, wrote a book. All right, cool. But like the internal gears that are grinding, the internal processes that are processing, it's a a much more nuanced conversation about who you are as a person. And for those listening to this, I want to encourage you, be aware and take notice without judgment of what your reaction is to Kim's story, because that can tell you about your internal processes and certainly our observation of what the collective society as a whole has as their reaction to your decisions tells us a lot about where we are. It takes the temperature of where we are in terms of work and identity. So this has been such a good chat. Is there any closing thoughts before we sign off? I'll just say that in case it's not obvious, because I haven't said these words, I'm just really grateful that I have both the opportunity to do it logistically and then also that I took a chance on myself. And I love what you were saying as a wrap up of this, of that, how are people instinctually reacting to hearing this story? And what are the little like interior, oh, the things that you're like flinching away from? Because that's always where there's something interesting there. Those are the points I'm trying to grow in right now and evolve through right now. And I think that's where the magic is. So I love that. And really your podcast and all the other things in your life, every time you have that flinch, what is that flinch? What is the thing physically? I think you know what I'm talking about. That flinch, it's not an internal flinch. It's like a whole body thing when you hear something and it's like, oh, four day week? Oh, yeah. Why? Yeah. Why do people react to that when they hear that? What do you even do? Uh, yeah. 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 So how can people stay in touch with you with your journey and then obviously your book when it's published and massively popular? 
Oh, gosh, I am so hoping that happens. <laughs> so I am chronicling my journey on TikTok and on Instagram. My handle is Kimmer's Full of Sunshine. And my name is spelled funny. So please check the show notes and show notes to look at that. And also, I am going to have I'm going to host a retreat the last week of September in the mountains of Colorado. And, and I want to encourage anyone who's writing anything. If you're writing a novel or poetry or a memoir or essays or anything that you have been really wanting to have the time and space to create, I want to help be your host for a week and do that. And I will keep you fed and happy and motivated. And while we spend time at my beautiful property in Colorado. So you can find out more about that if you look at the if you look at the link in my bio on Instagram or on TikTok. You can check out the details. Yeah, reach out if that sounds like something that you're into. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was fantastic. Thank you. I had a great time. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, you'll also like the one I did with author Joe Sanok about the signs that a four-day work week may be on the horizon and how it could work for you. That's episode 128. And since you made it this far, now is a great time to take a screenshot and share about it on social media. Be sure to tag me. I'm at Meredith For Real. Stay tuned next week when I talk with a cyber psychologist as we ask the question, could posting pics of your kids online be a bad idea?